You know, one of the reasons that 9-11 and similar events are so grievous to us uh, when we look around the world at such tragic loss is because of the loss of innocent people. And not in the sense of innocent as in sinless or perfect, but just the, the great loss of civilians and people who didn't see it coming. And death, especially tragic death, bothers us. And there's two words that are probably the two words that capture the root reason why. And it's the words Imago Dei. Imago Dei is Latin for God's image. Because every man, woman, boy, and girl is made in the image of God. And when we see tragic loss of life, it reminds us how unique and special humanity is, each and every person. And this is a conviction that we have that's known as the sanctity of human life. All life is valuable, but clearly there's something unique and distinct and special about people above all creation. People have the greatest value above all other forms of life because of the Imago Dei, because we are made in the image of God. And that's the topic we're going to tackle first as we start a brand new four-week series called Polarized. And we're going to be looking at uh, politics and faith over the next four weeks. And we know that uh, politics is an emotionally charged topic. And especially, it seems like today, where people have lost the art of being able to disagree or discuss things civilly. And politics has become divisive, and people oftentimes find themselves on polar opposite views of an issue. And instead of being able to agree to disagree, it's become uh, topics of anger and hate and, and antagonism. And so what we desire to do over the next four weeks is try to rally our hearts and our minds around thinking biblically over thinking politically. Because that's what the people of God need to root into their hearts as a priority, that we would think biblically more than we would think politically. And so the goal for this series is to rally around us that biblical mindset more than a political mindset. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that God's word shapes our mind and our heart and that which we're passionate about, including our political affiliations and our political thoughts. But it's God's word informs our political views, not the other way around. That our political views then starts to inform what we do and think about God's word. God's word is our authority and our guide, not our culture, not our political ideology, not our personal opinion. And the Bible is far from silent on how we as citizens of heaven should act as we are also citizens of a nation. And there's, a, there's quite a bit of helpful books out there on faith and politics. We're going to put out a recommended read list if this is a, a topic of interest for you. But for those of you who maybe um, just want to get started or you want something bite-sized, here's two little booklets that I recommend. One is called God and Politics by Mark Dever. And another is called Why Christians Should Seek to Influence Government for the Good by Wayne Grudem. Uh, they're just smaller reads, but they're, they're pretty packed with good insights about faith and politics. recommend you get those online and, and you can uh, dive into those. But ultimately, when you study the Bible and you look at Scripture, uh, you boil down our responsibilities as people when it comes to the topic of government to three primary responsibilities. One, to pray. God tells us to pray for our government. We see models of people praying for their nations, right, all through Scripture. Uh, To obey and also to influence. 
We, we see godly people obeying their governments, even if they were corrupt and oppressive, uh, because they trusted God more than their government. And we see them influencing the nations that they were living in or taken to in exile, all these kinds of things. We, we know that we're called to pray, obey, and influence. But if we're to think even deeper about our role as Christians and our stance as Christians when it comes to faith and politics, it could also be said this way, that when it comes to politics, faith, government, and patriotism, we put the kingdom of God before and above the kingdom of man. We put the cross before the flag. We put the gospel before public policy. And we put the Bible before the Constitution. And even saying that, I know that's going to rub some people wrong because uh, we've been led differently. No, we've got to be rooted to who we are as people of God. And the kingdom of God comes first. And the things of God come first for whatever nation we find ourselves living in. And so, in reality, we absolutely love our country, don't we? We love our country, but we can't worship our country. When you study the scriptures, whenever you worship something or someone more than God, what do they call that? An idol, an idol. And if we're not careful, we can slip into making our patriot, uh, patriotic views idolatrous if we're not careful. And so we love our country, we love our rights, we love our freedoms, we just can't worship our country. So for this series, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to narrow the discussion to four topics. And the four topics are four biblical issues, right? We're thinking biblically more than politically. They're four biblical issues. These are uh, themes that you see in God's word. These are themes that historically the people of God have been active in and have stood for because they're rooted in biblical understanding and biblical theology. And those four topics are economic justice, racial unity, sanctity of life, and biblical sexuality. You've seen the people of God for generations standing for these issues because these issues are all over God's word. They're biblical issues more than they are political issues. But uh, what happened is our, our man-made intention is we start to make them more political issues and forget that they're biblical issues. And here's what our culture has done to really kind of polarize us in understanding is typically what you experience is that two of those issues fall uh, often onto the platforms of one of our two major political parties, and then other two issues typically fall on the platform of the other major uh, political parties. This is a Republican-Democrat issue, or red and blue, and so this is often what you see the tension or the polarization in, that if you talk about economic justice or racial unity, those, those tend to be seen on one side of the spectrum, but if you talk about sanctity of life or biblical sexuality, they tend to fall on the other but, but here's the thing. They're all four biblical issues. God has a heart for all these issues. And, and you've experienced this, I'm sure. I'm sure all of you have experienced where you start to talk about one of these issues and then you get labeled, right? You get pigeonholed. And so it's like, hey, I just want to talk about racial unity. Oh, you're one of those. Okay, okay, so I know who you're voting for, and I know, you know, you're Democrat, you know, you're Democrat or you're Republican, or they start to pigeonhole you and label you because you have a heart for the issue. Like, oh, I want to talk about the sanctity of life. Oh, you're one of those. And then all of a sudden you're, and that's what the world has done. The, the world has created this kind of um, stalemate, right? This, this stalemate with, between these issues, but they're all issues. So imagine as a pastor or another spiritual leader, we're going, they're all four biblical issues, 
We're going to talk about all four. Well, in talking about all four, you know what's going to happen? When we're talking about two of the issues, there's people that are watching and are in the room that are going, ah, I don't know, because now you're starting to sound like this party. But then if you talk about the other issues, like, oh, now you're over here. So, so I get to be the guinea pig for the next four weeks, and whoever else is teaching to be pigeonholed and scapegoated, right? So here's the reality. We're all going to get uncomfortable. Because when we're talking about some of these issues, some people get uncomfortable. We talk about other issues, other people can get uncomfortable. Let's just get this on the table. We're all going to be uncomfortable. And it's okay because these are biblical issues. But I'll tell you right now, no one's going to be more uncomfortable in this room than the people up here trying to talk to you, right? (laughs) So anytime you want to trade places, you just let me know, all right? These are biblical issues. We're trying to draw close to God's heart. So we can't let the world force us into a label, a category, when this is really a wider issue. So with that being said, I want to get back to this topic of the sanctity of human life. That's what we're talking about today. And when it comes to the sanctity of human life, we've got a problem. And it's a problem that isn't unique just to this topic, but I think it's seen a lot on this topic. And here's the problem. When it comes to the sanctity of human life, we're really passionate about it at the polls, but we're typically passive about it the rest of the year. Now we're going to make a big, when it's season, it's voting season, or it's, you know, like, oh, now, now we're going to come online and we're, and we're going to really, you know, put it out there and then, you know, we're going to, you know, post and, you know, sh- shake the chains and everything else. We're going to be really big about it, but then the rest of the year, we're quiet. There's not a lot of activity there. That, that, that's a problem. I think it exists when it comes to issues of the sanctity of human life, as well as some other issues. So how do we remedy that? Well, I want to tell you right now um, the goal I have for us, and we'll be touching on this and circling back around at the end of our time, is that how do we as people of God, as followers of Christ, help hit this head on? And here's a guiding principle that I want us to have today. The guiding principle is this. Do for some what you wish you could do for all. Do for some what you wish you could do for all. And that'll make more and more sense as we go through our time. So our plan today is to frame in the sanctity of life topic by answering four classic questions. What, why, where, and how? Let's just just break it down super simple today, okay? First, what? What do we mean by the term sanctity of human life? The word sanctity means sacred or holy. Well, we know that we are not holy in the same sense that God is holy. Only God is holy in and of himself. But people are holy in the sense of being set apart or sanctified from all other life that God created. And the sanctity of human life is the belief that human life is unique among all creation and is inherently sacred in nature. Not because we're good, not because we're deserving uh, or special in and of ourselves, but because of the Imago Dei, because of the image of God that we carry, we bear his image. And so this belief, this moral, spiritual conviction leads us to see the immeasurable value and dignity of all humans, no matter their age, stage of life, level of development, ethnic background, gender, behavior, economic status, social status, level of intelligence, ability or disability, or the state of consciousness or self-awareness. And when we wrap our mind around that, this leads us to protect and respect human life and combat any violence, injustice, oppression, abuse, dehumanizing, exploiting, and enslaving evil that would stand against 
the sanctity of human life. That's what we mean when we say sanctity of human life. But why is sanctity of human life so important? I think in order to understand that, we've got to go back to the beginning. I mean the very beginning, all right? So open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 1. Fire up your Bible apps, you at home, you in the room. Let's get to Genesis chapter 1. And we're only going to look at three verses, but there are three verses that are so foundational to us as people and, and foundational to our faith as Christians. And so we know that Genesis 1, we're, we're covering the creation account where God is making everything. He's creating the universe, our world, you know, the atmosphere, the laws of nature. God's, God's making it all. And what we're about to do is zoom in on day six when God is making animals and then makes the first man and woman. And here's what we see in Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 through 27. It says, God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Don't forget that statement. Find it as we continue on. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, right? Imago Dei. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What I like about that passage is you pick up the pattern. There's a pattern there that when God was making the animals, he was creating them in their likeness. I'm going to make this livestock according to its likeness, and this according to its likeness, and this according to its likeness. There was a pattern, and then God broke the pattern. There's a pause, right? Right before verse 26, and then it says that let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Now this is completely different. And so it speaks to the Imago Dei. It speaks to how we are unique and distinct above all other life because we have the image of God. And so uh, for some of you who are newer to the Christian faith or you're trying to figure out who's God talking to when he says us and our, we know that this is an amazing expression of how God has revealed himself, known as Trinity, right? This is the Trinitarian doctrine. That right out of Genesis, we see the Trinity, that God is one God. But he uh, has manifested himself and expressed himself in three distinct personhoods. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so there's this relationship that's happening as he's getting ready to create man. That's how God's revealed himself. And here's what we see, that we're made in God's image, Imago Dei. And we don't mean physically. What we mean by that is that God has imprinted on us aspects of his nature and characteristics which means uh, we see the fingerprint of God in our lives unique apart all of the creation because we're eternal beings, right? Just like God is an eternal being. Uh, we have a moral, spiritual, intellectual, creative capacity. We have the ability to give love and exercise justice and mercy, and we can think rationally and have complex relationships. These are all evidences of God's nature in us. And so we're similar to God, but we're not identical. We're, we're not little copies of God. Instead, we've been designed by God to reflect him and reflect his creative ability and attributes. So therefore, the beauty of this and why this is so important is that our value as humans is not determined by uh, what we do, by what we accomplish, 
by whatever we can contribute to humanity. Our value is determined by who our maker is. Our identity is not defined by what we think or feel or what others say of us. It's not defined by our political affiliations or ideology. Our identity and worth comes from our creator. And that's just so freeing. Because it frees us from trying to have to accomplish and, and, and achieve some sort of identity or worth or value. And so the beauty of this is this, this worth, this value that's been given to us in the image of God is something that we've received, not achieved. You know what that does to us? It makes us do this. <sighs> I'm loved. I'm precious. I'm valued because of who made me. And there's nothing that anyone can do to change that or take that away. The Imago Dei, the image of God. Christian theologian and author and apologist, Ravi Zacharias, who just went to be home with the Lord a few months ago, said it this way. I really like this. He said, in Christianity, the essence of each and every person, the individual reality of each life is sacred. It's sacred because uh, intrinsic value has been given to us by our creator who has revealed himself in the starry skies and upon a nail-scarred cross. That's eloquent. And so that's what brings us this amazing image. That's why it's so important to us. And by the way, if you're trying to figure out what a nail-scarred cross might have to do with the Imago Dei, with the image of God, uh, this is very important for us to understand that when man and woman were created in the beginning, when they chose to sin, which we're going to look at here in a minute, what happened was the Imago Dei, the image of God, was damaged. It wasn't destroyed. It wasn't taken away. But our image of God was damaged. And now, instead of, wanting to, instead of reflecting God, you know what we want to do? We want to replace God. We want to be in charge. We don't want to be accountable to our creator. And so we were filled with sin nature, and now we're in this broken, flawed, cracked, if you will, tainted, marred image of God. It's still there, but it needs repair. We have no ability to repair it, right? And so God, out of his love for us, repaired it. And so Jesus, God the Son, came, and his death on the cross was the price he paid that we should have paid for our sin. It's the death that we should have died for our sin. And he conquered death, and he conquered sin through his death on the cross and his resurrection. And then those of us who hear this and understand God's love, understand this gospel of Jesus' death and resurrection, and believe in Christ, not only do you get forgiveness of sins, not only do you receive um, or this relationship restored with God, not only um, do you realize your purpose and value and worth again, the Imago Dei is renewed in your heart and mind and your understanding. We see that in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. It's, we're told to put off our old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt, right? There's that, there's that damage. It's corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the, what's the word? Likeness. After the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We see it again in Colossians 3.10. It says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so how amazing that when we come to Christ and place our faith in Christ, not only do we get forgiveness of sins, restored relationship with God, we get a renewed understanding of the Imago Dei, the image of God in our lives and through our lives. And so that's what happens for us. And, and if you've never um, 
entered into that relationship with Jesus, we want to help you do that. And so if you're curious to find out more or you're even ready to give your life to Christ, uh, reach out to us through our response number, 440-276-5575, and text the word Jesus if you want to know more about that or are even ready to make that decision. So we understand that we're made in the image of God. We come to understand our worth and value and every person's worth and value as God's image bearer. That gives us security. That gives us also compassion for our fellow image bearers in this world and what they're experiencing and to stand against harm and injustice. But that's when we start to step into that realm of how to exercise compassion for others that have the Imago Dei and we start to experience polarization and tension. Well, why is that? Where are we polarized on the sanctity of life issue? I think it's important to go back again to the beginning to see the roots of what causes us to be polarized and, and the, the byproduct of our sin nature. And so if you turn forward a couple chapters to Genesis chapter 3, uh, look at verse 1 with me. What we see here now is after the creation of man and woman, and Genesis 2 unfolds a lot more of that detail. But in Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man is now being set up. And here's what we see in Genesis 3, 1 through 5. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit trees of the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's three key moments in this exchange. One, the serpent, you know, we know it's devil, right? He um, put doubt of what God said into Eve's mind and heart. And then on top of that, he just flat out lied, right? He just flat out opposed what God said. Uh, so we see, like, did God really say well, you're not going to die. And then he appealed to her and taunted her and tempted her with the idea that she could become like God. Well, not much has changed. Because when you see us looking at these four issues, when you see us trying to live this out, what happens is you've got a bunch of people who doubt in God and what he has said is at the root. Like, well, what does the Bible really say about this topic? Like, well, I don't know. And you start to doubt God and doubt what he says. And then there's just a whole other agenda out there that's the opposite of what God has said that's being given to us. And then on top of that, with our sin nature, we're, we're wanting the idea of being like God to be developed and cultivated in our life. We can be our own God. That's why we try to impose our ideology into the lives of other people. That's us trying to be like God. It's one of the ways that we do that. And so that creates polarization in our lives when we do that. And after that, and that polarization effect is experienced in the sanctity of life topic, or what we would oftentimes call the pro-life topic. And I just want to be really clear here. When we say sanctity of human life, and when we say pro-life, we mean all. Everyone say all. We mean all life. All human life. And so, um, being pro-life means caring about people from womb to tomb, from the moment of conception to last natural breath. That's what we mean when we say sanctity of human life. And because people are made in the image of God, 
then we're going to oppose any form of the murder of innocent people. We're going to oppose um, oppression and slavery and human trafficking and racism and abuse and exploitation or seeing a fellow human as inferior. Or we stand against mistreatment due to ethnicity, gender, age, health, economic status, ability, disability. All these scenarios deny the image of God. They deny the Imago Dei. And because God is the creator of life and the sustainer of life, and we believe he's also the one who's the ender of life, we cannot relegate to humanity God's responsibility. And whenever we leave it in the hands of man to decide, well, they can die, they shouldn't, we're acting as God. And so whether that's to end a child's life in the womb or to try to assist someone who's suffering through suicide, when humanity makes the determination of who's worth life and death, we're continuing to operate in the lies from the garden. Did God really say that? Well, God didn't say that. Well, you know, you can actually make the call. You can be like God. And at that point, we try to replace God rather than reflect God. And so the Imago Dei, so important to us. Now, when we talk about the sanctity of human life, we do mean all life. But there is a special emphasis that needs to be put on the issue of abortion. And we know that's an emotionally charged topic. uh, Because uh, the reason that the... um, there's a kid not happy out there. <laughs> um, but uh, because there is awareness that babies are precious and they're helpless and the innocence of a baby. And so abortion is the leading cause of death in the United States. There's no other situation that comes even close. And so that causes us to, to think about that situation at a higher level. And because babies have no ability to defend themselves, advocate for themselves, that, that rises to a high level and gets our attention. And so we need to deal with the unborn because they are the most vulnerable among us. And we look at 9-11, for example, and it hurts to know that, that just under 3,000 people died at 9-11. But we lose over 3,000 babies a day. A day. And so when you, when you think about that, we've lost more babies in the last five months than the complete total of everybody that we've lost to COVID. When, when, you, when you think about that, we're still losing close to a million babies a year in our nation alone, which means that um, uh, when you think about the Jewish Holocaust of 6 million people, we, we've lost over 61 million babies since Roe v. Wade. That's 10 times the Holocaust. And so obviously the awareness of that keeps that near and dear to our heart because this is an issue where we want to stand in the gap for the most vulnerable. But if you understand the whole sanctity of life topic, it goes beyond the baby. It goes to the woman carrying the baby. And that's why I think the church sometimes has, has gone wrong. Is, and this is why I say sometimes we're, we're really passionate about it at the ballot box and then we're passive the rest of the time is... Most unplanned pregnancies are this gripping, vexing situation that most abortions are dealt with out of an act of desperation and feeling trapped. And so they, those, those women need care. They need support. They need encouragement. They need guidance. And if they go through with an abortion, they don't need condemnation. They need compassion and, and not punishment from the people of God. We need to be people who help, not hurt. And so when you understand the, the, the sanctity of life, the whole picture, you care about the woman because she's got the image of God, just like the baby has the image of God. And so we need to realize that th- that's the bigger issue and the trauma of abortion. 
And, and the guilt and shame that many women experience with abortion um, doesn't leave. And so there's high levels of, of abuse in their life and, and destructive behavior and just guilt and shame that, that, that are there. Talk to women who, who've had abortions for you know, years ago, decades ago, and they're still struggling. And so if, if that's anyone in this room or anyone watching online, if, if you've experienced abortion, or someone in your family's experienced abortion, you need to know you're loved, you're cared for, you're not hated. In fact, if God can use us to bring you hope and health and healing, we'd love to be part of your journey. Uh, you can text us at that response number. You can text that response number, the word healing. And that's an anonymous text. So we don't know your name unless you reveal yourself. And we can connect you with uh, a um, post-abortion caregiver that can help you unpack that journey and bring hope and healing in your life. That's, that's a continuation of the sanctity of life. But, but we know it goes way beyond abortion-related issues. When we look at all the other issues I've already talked about. But here, here's another example of the sanctity of life playing out as far as helping the least of these. Uh, some of you have heard this story, but back in 2005, a couple in our church went to El Salvador to the Love and Hope Children's Home and to, to serve on mission. And the community behind that home, uh, they started meeting some families, and they met Rena. And when they met Rena, she, she has cerebral palsy. She was um, 11 years old and weighed 15 pounds and just was very neglected. And God just broke their heart for her. And here's where we see that, like, you, you, you can't do it for all, but you can do it for some, right? And so uh, Dan and Christine Boyle just felt like, we need to just care for her well. And so they found her a wheelchair. She didn't have one. And they started donating through, you know, uh, appropriate channels to make sure she got it, uh, money that would go toward food and toward medicine to care for her. And from that point on, they just started caring for her. They just felt like that was what God called them to do. And they would go back almost every year to visit and check on her. Well, back in 2013, uh, Christine went back to check. And the community had become a gang-infested area, a lot of gang activity there. And when they found Rena... Uh, she was worse off than ever before. She was alone in a room, filthy bed, in her own feces and urine, bugs all over her, even around her mouth. And it just broke Christine's heart. And she said, this cannot be the life that this child's going to live. And so uh, the short version of a longer, more beautiful story is that through prayer and through just interacting with different people and networking, they found a Christian family who was willing to take Rena in and care for her, basically adopt her into their home. And so Dan and Christine continued to send money. They did fundraisers and sent money over. Um, we've actually uh, applied her to our budget. You know, it's very rare that we do that, but we've got Rena in our annual budget. We've had her for years. And you look, at, you look at this girl, like there's a smile on her face now. There's joy. She has the image of God, the Imago Dei in her life. So that, that's what it means to be about the sanctity of human life as well. You know, Christine shared this with me the other day. She said, Rena's life displays the gospel from darkness to light, from isolation to community, from abandoned to adopted, from neglected to being lavished with love, from forgotten to belonging. Her life displays the power of a church rallying together for even one life. 
a life that could be so easily forgotten, and yet a handful of people and a church in Broadview Heights, Ohio, have said, no, she matters. Her life has value and purpose. She is made by God and for God. We are so proud and humbled to be part of the body of Christ, a body that doesn't just say that's so sad, but a body that acts and is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. That's just another picture of the sanctity of human life in the Imago Dei. Is what I just shared political? No. This is God's heart. These are biblical issues, not political issues primarily. And so we need to understand what that means. Now, how do we stand for sanctity of human life? So how do we take what we, a lot of us already feel and go, okay, how can I, how can I be more about the sanctity of human life? Simply put, act and advocate. We see this in Scripture. The people of God just act and they advocate. Uh, in the time of Pharaoh, Pharaoh found some Hebrew midwives who were in charge of delivering Hebrew babies, and he told them, uh, when you are delivering the Hebrew babies, make sure you kill the boys but leave the girls. And so we see in Exodus 1.17, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Because God's law <laughs> to not murder, Imago Dei, was more important. Because they feared God, they acted and they advocated. We see God's instruction, for example, to Jehoiakim, um, a king, through the prophet Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 22.3, he says, Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who's been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Multiple targets that relate to the sanctity of human life and how to take care of others and, of, and, and intercept harm that was going to take place in others. Proverbs 24, 11, and 12. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will not he repay man according to his work? We're, we're to prevent harm from happening, death to the innocent. That's a biblical issue. And we can't hide behind excuses or like, oh, we didn't know about it. God said, no, I, I know what you know. And I'm holding you accountable to act upon it, act and advocate. Even when you look at the ministry of Jesus, he didn't help everybody. But he helped some, and, and among those people, there was a Roman soldier. He, he healed the son of a Roman soldier. The Jews would have lost their mind. You're helping the enemy. You're helping the enemy, and, but he didn't care. He healed the son of a Roman soldier. Uh, he healed a leprous man, you know, the, the, the greatest of the outcasts of their time. He healed a Canaanite woman's daughter. That, that too, would have been the scum of the earth, the Jewish mindset, but Jesus helped um, someone who they would have had a hard time with. You see the woman who was caught in adultery, drugged before Jesus, he showed compassion, not condemnation. He told her not to sin anymore, but then he showed her compassion. We know that God has a big heart for children. Let the children come to me. Don't do any harm to them. So over and over and over again, these are just a few samplings. We see that this is a biblical issue with the sanctity of life that we're to act upon. So how do we do that? How do we take it seriously? We just continue to act and advocate. And I just want to say, I'm so proud to be part of a church that historically has done that and still does that. You guys serve. You guys pray. You guys volunteer. You guys give to efforts to help with the sanctity of human life. Just a couple of examples of that. 
Uh, this year's budget, I mean, this is every year's budget, but this year's budget specifically, over $100,000 of our budgeted missions funds are going directly to ministry efforts and partners that are going to impact the sanctity of human life on some level. Uh, ministries like uh, Forever Home Adoption Ministry, the Cleveland Pregnancy Center, the Human Coalition who deals with abortion-determined women, uh, City Mission, the Enzima Baptist Hospital. Uh, we still support ministry going on in Ukraine to the Roma people, the Gypsy people, of Ukraine. El Salvador, Love and Hope is still in there, and, and Rena is still in there. Rahab Ministries that deals with uh, women caught in sex trafficking. Building Hope in the City, which deals with refugees and others who are in a bad way. The Emergency Assistance Fund. Even um, True Freedom Ministries. Like, look, we've all made mistakes. Some people made mistakes so bad that they need to be incarcerated over them. They're still the Imago Dei for the people in jail. There's still an image of God there. And so how can we continue to show value and work even to them as they serve time? Uh, I'm excited to say that starting at the end of this month, we're going to be taking our services, they're going to be burned to a DVD and then copy and then sent out to 21 prisons in the local area. Because those people need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the truth of, 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 of who Christ is and what they need. And not very many churches are doing that. And so these are, these are happening because of you because of your faithfulness, because of your giving, because of your efforts here at Cuyahoga Valley Church. On top of that, uh, very proud of our indispensable ministry that serves the, the needs of those with disabilities and their families. And we have monies and volunteers. What a great ministry to get involved in and be trained in um, to help those who uh, are struggling in that area. Plus, those of you who've had a heart for the unborn, specifically uh, in just the last 10 years, we've given over $100,000 to our ministry partners that deal specifically with the unborn, uh, the Cleveland Pregnancy Center and the Human Coalition, plus over 30 volunteers right now are actively engaged with the Cleveland Pregnancy Center on one shape, uh, one form or another. And so you guys are showing up, and I'm so proud of you for doing that. So thank you for praying. Thank you for serving and volunteering. Thank you for giving. Uh, keep doing that because it's so important to making a difference in the lives of others. But I want to go back to the problem I stated earlier. We are typically passionate on the issue of sanctity of life at the polls, but then we're passive typically the rest of the year. We, we can do better. And so how do we do better? Here's the answer. Do for some what you wish you could do for all. Um, you can't help everyone. You, you can't rescue every baby from abortion. You rescue some. You can't rescue every woman from sex trafficking or care for them when they've been rescued, but you can for some. You, you can't rescue every Rena out there, but you can for some. And so you've got to start somewhere. And sometimes in order to do for some what you can't do for all, you start by doing for one what you wish you could do for all. Like even if, even if once a month, you really intentionally went after a sanctity of human life opportunity. That, that's 12 times or 12 people a year. Five years, 60. 10 years, 120. If everybody's doing that, that's a lot of people that are going to be cared for. It's a lot of people who are going to get help. Well, some of you are like, well, what, what can we do? Well, these are a little bit vague, but I trust the Holy Spirit can bring actions to you for this. Uh, it can be an act of compassion. It can be an act of generosity. It can be an act of respect or dignity. It can be an act of kindness to serve a need. You can advocate for those with no voice, whether it's those in the womb or those in the hallway at school, whether it's voting or whether it's writing legislation. You can advocate for those who don't have a voice or whose voices are hard to hear. You can pray 
for those who you have a heart burdened for. You can serve. You can even take it to another level and consider adopting or foster care. We have a healthy um, donation fund ready to help people adopt kids. Just do for some. Do for one what you wish you could do for all. And if you do that, your motive, the Imago Dei, because they're made in God's image. All people need to deserve to understand their value and worth, even on a personal level. Like this might be personal to you right now, because maybe you've been listening to a, a negative loop in your head. Look, you are made in the image of God. You have unbelievable worth and value. God loves you. You're precious to him. Maybe his parents. Maybe we need to include that when we tuck our kids in. Did you know you're made in the image of God? Did you know that you're precious, sacred to him, and he loves you so much? Maybe even for some of you have elderly parents, grandparents, loved ones who are sick, their minds are sick, their bodies are sick, and maybe they're wrestling with a feeling of worthlessness. You need to remind them, look, mom, dad, you're made in the image of God. He loves you. You're precious. You're sacred to him. That's what it means. That's what it looks like to be people who have a heart for the sanctity of human life. Let's be those people. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this reminder today. God, you are the creator. You are the author of all life. You're the giver of life, the sustainer of life, even the taker of life, the ender of life. You're God, we're not. And so we're so grateful that you have put your image upon us and you put your image upon every human being that's ever walked this planet and ever will walk this planet. Help us to see that in ourselves. Help us to see that in others. And Father, we confess that we haven't always done that well. We've argued, we've fought, we've been polarized over how to care for people you've made, that you value, that have worth. And we're sorry for that. God, open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our hands to help those who need help, to advocate and to act for others because of the Imago Dei, the image of God. We ask in Jesus' name. We all sit together.